The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. The West Virginia Mountaineers lose to Kansas State by the score of 34-17. to This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. This was a very frustrating game for Mountaineer fans. From what I saw on Saturday, Kansas State was a team West Virginia could compete with. This was not the Baylor game. This was not the Oklahoma State game. Opportunities to make big plays were available in Manhattan, but the players just didn't capitalize when the opportunities presented themselves. A drop pass, which led to a pick. An interception by X-Ray Lowe, taken away by a bonehead targeting penalty. A chop block call, which backs West Virginia towards their own end zone and leads to a block punt touchdown. We could go on and on. Is this the player's fault, or are these issues on the coaching staff for not having their guys ready to play? Because self-inflicted wounds was not... It's not a new issue for the Mountaineers. We are going to... dive into this and more into today's show. So Brandon, my first question to you is, who do you blame more for yet again, another lackluster performance, the players for not capitalizing on opportunities or the coaching staff for not having their team ready to play? I think it's the coaching staff hundred percent. I mean, you know, you kind of alluded to it is, you know, the mistakes are, aren't anything new and, you know, we're on week 11 now of the season, plus summer, plus spring practice. Um, you know, we have maybe, what, we have one or two freshmen who are seeing playing time on offense and maybe not, I don't think any on defense. So, I mean, it's not a young group. It's, you know, we have some young guys here and there, but the coach's responsibility is to make sure they have the guys on the field who are going <laughs> to perform, not make mistakes, execute to their liking, and that means not, making mistakes. That means giving full effort. That means not turning the ball over and making boneheaded plays. And I feel like we're regressing. Um, You know, last year we had a terrible drop issue and this year it's starting to slowly crop back up. Um, Just little mistakes here and there, boneheaded plays. Um, Some people pushing too hard, some people not pushing enough. Um, And it just doesn't seem like we're on the same page. And it is the coach's job from the head coach to the position coaches to the coordinators to make sure everyone is on the same page when they step on the field come game day. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the points you made, you took the words right out of my notes. I think it's a combo. I don't think either side is blameless at this point. We are 10 games into the season and we are seeing the same mistakes we saw versus Maryland in week one. Um, I feel like I've and some other fans have made an enough excuses for the players and coaches alike. And I know neither of them ever asked for us to make excuses for them, but fans are getting frustrated. I'll give the coaches and players credit for always taking ownership in their press conferences. They don't point the finger or make excuses like we've seen in the past here at West Virginia. However, it talking's over. It's time to walk the walk. At some point, the results have to match what we're being told in these press conferences. You can only say the right thing for so long until it just becomes empty promises. Uh, We're not getting better. We're not getting disciplined. We aren't executing the basic fundamentals that help you win football games like uh, Kansas State always does. 
I mean, we just played a team that probably has the same level of talent that we have. And guess what? We lost by 17 points. So it's frustrating. And although I'm not in the camp of fire Neil Brown, now I'm not there yet, but I believe a new coach deserves five years because if you're doing a revolving door of head coaches, then you're a program who's constantly trying to start over and, and that will never lead to success. But here's my concerns. If Neil Brown and this coaching staff doesn't start taking positive steps in the right direction next year, then they have no chance of having a successful fifth year here at West Virginia. And if Neil Brown has one winning season in five years at West Virginia, and that winning season is a six and four shortened COVID season, then I will be in the camp of fire Neil Brown. We need progress and we need it sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I mean, and it's just so frustrating seeing that, you know, not only is there no progress being made, it's just kind of the same issues over and over again. Our defense the past two years have been has been rock solid, but our offense has just constantly lagged behind. And Neil Brown is notoriously an offensive minded coach, albeit maybe not necessarily up there with some of the elite offensive minds, but he got his where he is today by being an offensive coach. I mean, looking back over the seasons, you know, I, I looked over his whole career at WVU, he had four double so, well, over the past two years, throwing away that first season, three double digit wins. Um, and he has had five double digit losses in the past two years. Um, that's just not good. I mean, you, you know, that's only FBS opponents, but you know, still you, you should be winning games. You should be beating teams by double digits occasionally. And it seems like if we're winning, we're winning by one possession. We're playing it close to the vest and we're not just going out there and and winning. I mean, we've only scored. Um, so we have four times scoring over 30 points against FBS opponents. That excludes Kansas. That's over all three years. And we have 11 times allowed over 30 points in his three years while we're here. Um, another interesting stat that I saw was that he has four, Neil Brown has four wins against FBS teams with winning records over the past three years. And that's per uh, Draco9986 on Twitter. Um, he uh he ran a little spreadsheet analysis of that and when i saw that i was just blown away i mean in three years you have four wins against the winning teams that's that shouldn't be happening in year three alone you should have four wins against someone with a winning record i just can't believe it but this kind of next one um kind of blew my mind is you know we all talk about how recruiting is neil saving grace um well we have 17 transfers to date which is four more than the next highest in this calendar year um that's per uh, our friend brad uh from the voice of motown but whenever i look back at the 2020 class I, I you know always give neil brown a pass for you know that first recruiting class since he came in late and half of it was dana's but in 2020 he had um he recruited in 21 players guess how many of those players have transferred out i don't even have a guess what is it a third seven of the 21 players that he recruited to WVU, his first recruiting class are now gone. So, you know, if recruiting is a saving grace, he's got to keep the players here too. And obviously that's not happening. You can't, you know, if we, we had another good recruiting class last year, if next year we have another handful leave, you know, we're bringing in a great recruiting class this next upcoming season. What if after a season Nico leaves or some of these other four stars? So it's just basically, you're not even recruiting a player to play. You're recruiting a player for them to leave and go play for someone else in another year 
Um, and I'm just, you know, it just kind of makes me feel worse about the situation more as I dig into it because it's, it's just so disheartening to kind of think about how things are being so poorly managed and we're still stuck with the same coaches basically um, apart from maybe two or three different guys since when he hired, um, you know, this first couple of years should be a good feeling out period for your assistance. And we're still stuck with an offensive line coach who hasn't shown any progress really there. Um, we're still stuck with a lot of the same faces on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, we had a, a great co-defensive coordinator slash defensive back coach in Jamila Dye, which ended up at Georgia for one reason or another. Um, and he was a West Virginia guy. Um, so just a lot of, lot of questionable things going on. And I, I'm really hoping, um, I, I know I'm not expecting anything this, the next couple of weeks, but as soon as the season's over, there needs to be a lot of moves made and that, that might help me buy back in a little, but yeah, um, big changes need made. I'm with you. And we've talked about this the last few weeks. Um, there, there does need to be changes because if you come in with the status quo next year with the same coaching staff, same philosophies, I don't see why we wouldn't just see the same results on offense in three years. I mean, we've, we've had poor offenses. It's, it's not even like one year was good. And then we had two down years. There hasn't been one stretch of good offense since Neil Brown has been here. And so I understand like, you know, you, you get tight with these coaches and you start to know their families, but at, at some point you got to start being a professional and realizing that, you know, you're going to go down with the ship or you can try something new. And not only would bringing in a new offensive staff, I'm not saying fire everyone, but you do need to make some changes. And not only would that get the fans back on board, but you would probably get some of those players that are starting to lose faith in you back on board as well. You need a fresh mind in there. I'm not saying you have to, you know, scratch everything and, and start a brand new offense. You definitely need fresh ideas coming in, though, because the ideas that are in that room, it's getting stale and you can even see it on game day. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of favoritism go, that goes around, too. I mean, not only with the coaching staff, but it seems like with the, the player selection. I mean, we've seen it just this year alone. Um you know, one thing I mentioned during our halftime show was the decision for Winston Wright to be pulled after that Maryland game at the punt return, uh, punt returner position after buffing one punt when he's our most dynamic player. And I think he needs to be returning punts. Um, we put, we replaced him with Esdale, who's been good, but since he's been hurt, Malasevich has been back there and he's muffed a punt, but he got to go back out after muffing one pump, just like um, a superior player, in my opinion, and Winston Wright. Uh, before the bye, we were all clamoring about Jared, Garrett Green just getting a few more snaps. Give him, him some more series. Let, let's let see what we have. And despite, you know, I know we're just fans. I know we're just, you know, people who not aren't necessarily the most knowledgeable about the situation. But, you know, Deggy versus Green, we saw less and less of Green the more and more Green produced. Um, you know, we still see Vandarius Cowan out there, even though he makes a lot of mistakes. He's had his second targeting penalty of the season. And we have other outside linebackers who've played pretty well on the season, like X3 Low, Lance Dixon, um, Linnell Carr, who's just stepped up. Um, so, you know, keep trotting Cowan out there over those guys. Uh, Brandon Yates, who has been a liability at left tackle. There's We have not seen another body in there unless he's been hurt. And as soon as he's able to go back out, he's right back out there. And then, of course, you know, Kerry Martin, Darrell Middleton, Sam Brown, three guys who had talent to play and they've shown it you know Kerry Martin 
was an all freshman big 12 player. Middleton played a lot of snaps at Tennessee and Sam Brown played pretty well last year for us. And they didn't see the field almost rarely this year and now they're gone. So we're running talented players off the team too, over, you know, not being able to find ways to get in there. So um, I'm not okay with that. I don't, I don't like being hypocritical. I don't like, you know, playing favorites. I, I want someone who's in there making objective decisions and just putting the best 11 guys on the field at any given time. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, it seems like um, some people have a shorter leash than others. And I'm not just talking about green and Daggy. It seems like, you know, multiple positions have that issue. And uh, that is why we're seeing some guys transfer because most of these guys, when they transfer, you know, out, out in the public, they try to say all the right things. Cause obviously you don't want to get a bad reputation when you're trying to find your new home. But um I mean, you can always see these transfers coming from a mile away if you're following these players on Twitter because they're saying stuff that proves that they're, you know, they have issues. They're, they're disgruntled after games for whatever reason, not seeing playing time. Maybe they're having arguments. I don't know why, but um, clearly um, they're just not getting along with certain coaches. Uh, I mean, in the offseason, we kept saying this is good that Brown's getting the people who are buying in and he's getting rid of the people who aren't. So I don't know if there's something going on at practice, which is making him have long and short leashes for certain players. I don't know. Like you said, we're not there. You know, we're just fans. So we don't know the inside scoop. But it's it's definitely puzzling when you see so many struggles and not every player is being treated the same for making a mistake. Well, I mean, even thinking about it at, at a personal level, like, as an employee at a, a business where I work as, you know, a father to my children, if you treat everyone with different, you know, leashes and different guidelines, you're going to make people upset. And if that's how the coaches are approaching things, giving everyone a different leash, a different set of guidelines, that's a great way to, you know, cause, you know, disarray within your organization. Um, that's just not a good manager there. So um, I, I just don't understand what it is. I don't know if it's a trust issue with the coaches. Like if they don't trust you, then you're gonna have a shorter leash. If it's because maybe you're not doing enough in practice, which if you're not doing enough in practice, then maybe you shouldn't be seeing the field in the first place. I, I just don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, it, it's certainly frustrating. Do you got anything else where you want to dive into the offense and defense? No, I think I'm ready for it to dive into the, the offense. Let's do it. So on offense, uh, I mean, it was just a series of first half miscues for the real story of this game. The offense went 21 straight possessions without a touchdown going all the way back to the Iowa State game. Uh, this finally came to an end when Daigie found Reese Smith in the end zone with about six minutes left in the third quarter. So it took a long time to find the end zone, even in this game. The offense seemed to have some moments in the second half. But, I mean, the game was 24-3 to halfway through the third quarter. This was a case of too little, too late for the Mountaineers. What were your thoughts about the West Virginia offense? I mean, the story of the game, just like it has been, is inconsistency. I mean, five of our 11 drives had five plays or less. And on those five drives, we averaged a total of 8.6 yards on each drive. That's just a recipe for, you know, disaster. I mean, you're not helping out your defense and all you're losing the field, the field position battle, which, you know, the coaches talk about every week. Um, 
And if that's your goal, you know, is to play a field position battle, you got to get first downs. Um, you know, a lot of it had to do with how we were operating our offense too. I mean, our average down and distance on second down was second and eight. We had 15 rushes and 15 passes on first down. Eight of our 15 passes were completed. We only averaged about 6.5 yards per drop back. Um, but we were averaging five yards per attempt rushing on those 15 rushes. So, I mean, it, it just goes to show that maybe we should be running the ball more. I don't understand why we threw the ball 45 times in that game when it seemed like there was holes to be run through and Letty was running hard. Yeah, he definitely was. And um, when I broke down individual stats, it seemed to, I thought it was interesting looking at what each player did in the first half and the second half. Let's start with Jared Dagey. He finished with 268 yards and two touchdowns to go along with his two interceptions. Granted, the first one wasn't his fault, but let's break those numbers down. With three minutes to go in the first half, Dagey only had 83 yards and a 50% completion rate. So it's almost halftime, and your quarterback has only thrown 83 yards. So a very lackluster performance for the majority of the first half. Credit to him for driving down the field and getting three points before halftime. But the score was 17-3 at that point. I mean, at that point, you need seven when you're down by that much. You you can't wait until the end of, the, of a half to you know, really start putting a performance together. He finished the first half with 129 yards because of that last drive, but only 139 in the second half. So the final stat line is a little misleading because I feel like a lot of those second half yards were because, you know, Kansas State had a big lead and they were just kind of making sure they didn't give up a big home run play and allow us to get back into it. Um, So I feel like a majority of those yards came at a time when the defense was just, protecting a comfortable lead. What were your thoughts on his his performance? Yeah, I thought this was one of his worst games of the season. I mean, 27 for 45, two interceptions, two TDs. He was sacked three times. Um, I couldn't find all three sacks on the stat sheet, but two of them I I did see on my charting. Maybe the third one was whenever I stopped doing my rewatch late in the fourth quarter. But the first time he was sacked, he was holding the ball too long. It was one of those plays where he had seven or eight seconds to throw, and he just held it. Um, the second one was, I don't think you can, could consider it a sack. It was a broken play. It looked like it was supposed to be a handoff to Tony Mathis. Um, and the defense just got to the backfield immediately and he threw it away. Or he tried to throw it away but got sacked instead. But that wasn't necessarily, you know, even though that second one wasn't really his fault, the rest of the, the game wasn't very good. Um, I had at least five times where he held the ball too long and didn't get the ball out quick enough to give his receiver time to throw it or even make a throw. Um, There were a few times on third down where he was just holding the ball for, again, what seemed like seven, eight seconds and not throwing the ball. And if you give the defense that much time to match up with your receivers, the receivers can't run that long. They can't get open that long. And um, Kansas State's defense was kind of hell-bent on just dropping eight, making Deggie make a decision, and counting on him to stall out, which he did several times. He was also inaccurate. Um, he had seven passes, which I marked as being underthrown or overthrown. Um, you know, he's been throwing that out route pretty well the past few games, and he missed on those several times. Um, there are other passes which end up being, you know, just thrown into a tight window, which wasn't there. And if you would have thrown it a half a second sooner, it would have been complete. So just a lot of 
really bad, inconsistent play where he wasn't putting the ball where it needed to be. He wasn't being accurate. He wasn't running the offense like a sixth or fifth or sixth year senior, whatever he is now. Um, and I just don't understand it. And then on top of that, where you had the play where he overthrew that out route and then he's going off the field and, and blowing off Neil Brown whenever Neil Brown's trying to talk to him. Um, that, again, just kind of goes to show you that, you know, I, I don't necessarily put that on Deggy, but it just seems like Neil Brown's kind of lost the team to, to go back to what we were talking about earlier. But um, it's just not a good look anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, even the commentators, once again, were giving the, the poor kid a hard time. But, I mean, he was missing. It just looked like routine routes. There was an out route, I believe it was to Winston Wright, towards the end of the first half. We said how we needed seven there. We couldn't settle for three. That was kind of a letdown. And on third down, he missed a wide-open Winston Wright on an out route. So who knows? We could have got seven there, but he was inaccurate. Uh, before we get into the running game, I do want to say one encouraging thing about the offense was Caden Prather's second half performance. The freshman racked up 60 yards on four catches and he seems to have big playability. I, I hope he sees significant amount of snaps these last two games um, because I want him coming in his sophomore year with some game experience. What were your thoughts on Caden? Oh, I love Prather. Um, I was actually, whenever Bryce Ford Wheaton started out, um, slow early in the season. Um, if you recall, I was banging on the table saying that, you know, I want to see Prather more because, you know, he's a legit four-star player. He's 6'3", 6'4", 220 pounds. Um, I think he was talked at like a four five forty. So he's, you know, just an elite athlete and, you know, you don't get to be a four-star guy coming out of high school for, for no reason. So he knows how to play the game and he showed some strong hands, the ability to run a little bit after the catch. Um, you know, he's an exciting player to think about for the last couple games and then also how he's going to play the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, he came in this season with a lot of hype. I remember hearing his name a lot before the season even started. So like we were talking about earlier with favoritism, I hope, you know, he sees, um, you know, important snaps. I hope he just doesn't have playing time the rest of the year when we're getting blown out or the game's over. I want to see him in there when, you know, the game's on the line and it actually matters. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Letty a little bit, because once again, he had a game where the story was two halves. Letty Brown finished the game 85 yards on 20 carries. He also added 33 yards on five catches. Um, you know, not the best day ever, but look at his first half performance. He had 12 carries for 59 yards in the first half. That's almost five yards a carry. Pretty good half so far. But in the second half, only eight carries for 26 yards. That's three yards per carry. Not the best. I know they kind of abandoned the run in the second half, which I hate when they do that. But, I mean, that's because you're down 24-3 at one point in that second half. So once again, this is why you can't start games flat. You have a good defense. Um you're asking Jared Daigie to pass the ball every single play. That's just not a winning formula. You're just not going to win ball games that way. And it's not fair to Daigie. It's not fair to the team. He's not built to throw on every single play. Um, so it's it's just frustrating overall. What were your thoughts on Letty's performance? Yeah, and to kind of harken back to the, the pass-run split, I mean, we had to pass the ball in the second half because we were down, but in the first half, we were still passing twice as much as we were running. We had 26 passes to 13 rushes. 
Um, it's just not a good split. Um, we were averaging 5.4 yards per carry in the first half, like you like you alluded to. That wasn't just Letty. That was just cumulative. But, you know, Letty was clearly running hard, but I, I think part of that running hard, too, led to the fumbles that he had. He had two fumbles, only lost one, but the one that he lost was just at a really, really bad time. And you could tell, you know, the way he was running, how he was going through getting second and third effort, getting more and more yards after that initial contact. It, it just seemed like he was running different this week and a little bit last week too. And it feels like he's maybe trying to force things a little bit. You know, this is his senior year and coming off a big year last year where I think some people may have had him as a late round draft pick coming back and trying to hope to boost that stock and, you know, trying to win football games, obviously too, um, you know, forgetting some of his fundamentals, you know, trying to play hero and fumbling the ball twice. Um, you know, I don't hold that really against Letty because he's been so solid for us, but, it's just a, a symptom for the bigger team's disease, I guess, where we're just making too many issues at other positions that our best players are overexerting themselves to make something happen. And then that's when injuries happen. That's when mistakes happen. And that's just when things fall apart. Yeah, I definitely think you're starting to see some frustration um, by some of the players. And I don't blame them. I mean, the fans, we feel the frustration as well. This stat kind of surprised me surprisingly enough the Mountaineers only had two penalties that game which if you would have made me guess I would have went well over that unfortunately here's why so many people probably think there were more those two penalties were major penalties the targeting call on Cowan uh which you know we'll get into that later when we talk about defense and the chop blocking call which backed West Virginia towards their own end zone and eventually led to a block punt because we were so far back, Kansas State just sent the house. So, you know, good. it's good that we only have two penalties. I think it was for like 26 yards. On paper, that looks great. But when you look at the two penalties, you know, one led to a block punt, the other took away an interception. Uh, once again, it's just play smart football. Yeah, and, you know, to, to talk a little bit maybe about some positive things the offense have shown before I get to my last point. I thought the O-line played well. Um, like I said, the two sacks that I saw when I rewatched the, the game um, weren't really the offensive line's fault. The one was just a completely busted play. The other one was because Deggie held the ball too long. And I suspect the third was probably because Deggie held the ball too long because he was doing that all game. Um, and the wide receivers, other than that drop by right, I think were pretty good. Um, but, you know, whenever Deggie's not getting the ball to him, I worry if that's going to get into their head a little bit and they're going to regress to how they were playing last year. Um, you know, frustration can do that to players. So I'm really hoping that, you know, our receivers continue to play well. Um, Reese Smith had a solid game. Um, he's a guy who seems to seeing his, um, you know, snap share increase a little bit. Um, and, you know, he seems like a good guy to sit in there against zone coverage, kind of finds the soft spot pretty well, has solid hands, good blocker. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were kind of the bright spots of the offense. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I, another negative thing that I had was, you know, the play, the play calling, um, not necessarily design and variation. I liked the way that they were mixing up formations again. They ran a lot more unique run plays, which is something that I like. Um, they mix up the routes concepts they were running. But the situational awareness of the play calling was awful. I mean, there were times where it was third and fourth down, you know, third down and seven, and they were running the ball up the middle you know, just saying we're going to go for it on fourth down anyway, so why not just run it up the middle? I just don't understand that. There's no aggressiveness in there. And then there's times where it was like fourth and five, and they were running four-yard routes. 
Um, I don't put that on the players that, you know, why are you running everyone on four yard stop routes? Um, maybe one guy to the sticks whenever it's fourth down and you need to get something that works. So why not run multiple routes that go past the sticks just in case they, you know, the defense is protecting the sticks like most defenses are going to try to do. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, we're, we're running on long yardage situations where, you know, kind of laying down at times saying we're going to end up punting anyway. So might as well not make a mistake here. Um, after that Iowa state game, I just don't understand what happened to that, that the, our play calling. I mean, it's complete night and day Oklahoma state. We couldn't get anything going in Kansas state. It just seemed like it was the first time someone was calling plays and maybe it's possible. Maybe they changed play callers this game. No one just, you know, said anything, but, uh, just, it's just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. I do agree about the offensive line play. I remember even bringing them up at, um, our halftime show that I thought for the most part, they were giving Deggy a clean pocket and, uh, you know, for our offensive line, I thought it was a pretty solid game. He got sacked three times, but a DK, I think only had, you know, a tackle for a loss. And I think he had three, two or three overall tackles. But I mean, the fact that you um, didn't allow him to get a sack, you know, I thought the offensive line did well enough for, you know, for us to win. We, we probably should have got more than 17 points for, for how they played. Uh, the only thing I have left on offense is coach Brown said after the game that, Garrett Green is doubtful for the Texas game. What are the chances we see Goose Crowder if this game gets ugly? I mean, I would say they'll probably put him in there if we're down big um, late in the fourth, just, you know, to, to preserve Deggy or whatever the goal there would be. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I would like to start seeing him get snaps. And if we lose against Texas, I don't see any reason to start Deggy against Kansas. I, I would hand the reins over to, to Crowder there or even green if they want to go that route and he's healthy and ready to play. But, you know, I, I wouldn't kind of make it so that you're kind of tied to Deggy again for, for next year. I mean, go out there and let someone else have an opportunity, especially against someone like Kansas, um, you know, and put the pressure on Deggy and kind of show him that, you know, this isn't your job guaranteed coming back you're gonna have to compete for it because that's one thing that worries me is you know the the big conversation is is Jarrett Deggy gonna come back next year and the more and more where we see where it's only Jarrett Deggy taking snaps um it just seems more and more like he's gonna end up coming back and we're not gonna have another true QB competition going into next season which gives me nightmares to be honest <laughs> I'm sure it gives a lot of fans nightmares um, I'm with you. I don't think we see goose unless this game gets real ugly. And I don't know if that's the right decision or, or not. I mean, uh, if green's not going to play, I mean, we've only seen goose play a little bit versus um, in the Liberty game and, you know, or long Island, sorry. And it looked like he had a, a strong arm, but I mean, is that good enough to beat Texas? I don't know. I mean, you know, as much fans as don't want to hear it, Deggie, is probably our best chance of winning against Texas if uh, Garrett Green isn't healthy to suit up. But we'll see. I mean, if the game does get ugly, I definitely want to see Goose just to see what he's got. Will Neil Brown go with um, Goose against Kansas? I doubt it just because um, even if we go in there after losing to Texas, 
he's not going to be thinking this game's just a waste because if he loses to Kansas, no matter who's the quarterback, then people are going to be calling for his head. Yeah, that's true. And I, that was actually going to be one of my questions for after we cover the defense. But I mean, I think if he loses to Kansas, regardless of his quarterback, um, and it's a must win, regardless of if we beat Texas or not, I mean, he, he's going to have to have some serious conversations with Lions and, you know, to the point where maybe Lions kind of goes in there and hands holds Brown in the bringing back of assistance. Like, you know, I'm going to pick the guys that come back. I'm going to make the hire for you and you're going to deal with it. And that's a good way to kind of push a court, push a, push a uh, coach out. I mean, um, I think what Lions did that with Dana a little bit too. Um, towards oh, yeah. the end, that's what kind of pushed Dana out. So, um, you know, but if you're making mistakes and there's no improvements, you got to shake things up a little bit. And if the coach isn't going to do it, then his boss has got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I would be 100% for that. If, if we drop these last two, I'm, I don't think we will. Um, I know that probably made some listeners roll their eyes, but I don't think we're going to lose these next two games. I'm not going to say we're going to win both of them, but um, I don't think we're going to lose both. Hopefully. Oh, man, it'll be terrible if we do. So let's just move on. I don't even want to think about that yet. Let's talk about our defense. West Virginia's defense had an okay first half. Honestly, um, only seven of those 17 points were on them, if you ask me. Uh, Seven of those points were on a block punt. And then on the field goal drive, Kansas State started on West Virginia's 40-yard line. So, I mean, they didn't have to go very far to already be in field goal range. So, um, you know, they played all right in the first half. The second half, they allowed a crucial fourth down conversion, which shattered any hope we had of a comeback. Uh, But once again, the story is, I feel like this was a decent effort by our defense, but they couldn't overcome West Virginia's lack of offense early in the game. What do you think? Yeah, it was the story of short fields again. I mean, the first touchdown, Kansas State only had to go 55 yards. Second touchdown was a punt block. Their third touchdown, they only had to go 33 yards. And then their fourth touchdown, they actually had to drive the field. They had to go 63 yards. But, you know, it's just not – that's not a good way to win. I mean, Kansas State's start, average starting field field position was their own 44-yard line compared to WVU's, which was their own 22. You know, you're spotting Kansas State 22 yards at field, posi- field position already. And – it's just not a good way to help your defense out. It's not a good way to win. It's just really bad football. Nah, man. It, it just feels like we're watching the same movie every week and we're just saying, hey, we know how this one ends. We've seen this. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, you know, let's talk about Kansas State because, you know, they do have a nice football team. Credit to Deuce Vaughn. I mean, that guy is just so good. He had 121 yards on 25 carries. That's nearly five yards a carry. He was too much for the West Virginia defense at times. Um, it's hard to slow a guy like Deuce down. What do you think of his performance? I think he played great. Um, I think a lot of it came in the first half. I mean, he did have a nice 38-yard run in the second half, but we we quieted him down a lot more in the second half, holding him, holding all the running backs to 3.1 yards per carry. But in the first half, it just seemed like, you know, I don't know if our defensive line and linebackers were just not playing with energy if they weren't motivated or if Kansas state just had our number, but they were averaging 5.2 yards per carry 
um, in the first half. And our linebackers and defensive lines seemed like every play were getting washed up in the shuffle with all those offensive linemen in their it looked like a zone blocking scheme to me. Um, and no one was fighting through blocks. No one was taking through the, you know, taking the right angles. And by the time that they got to where they needed to be, Deuce was already past that level. So we had a lot of defensive backs having to make tackles. We had a lot of missed tackles um, because we had defensive backs trying to make tackles. And, you know, that's not what you want to happen. You, you want your linebackers to be there when they get past the defensive line. And it wasn't until our defensive line became active and disruptive, which is kind of the, the trend for our defenses, you know, the defensive line has to make plays and they were making plays in the second half. Um, they were making plays in the second quarter. So, you know, kudos to them for kind of stepping back up and, you know, getting in the backfield. But, you know, I, I wish it was started off a little bit better um, because he is so quick and so shifty that he makes one cut and you lose him, and then he's out off to the second level already. Yeah, yeah, that first touchdown they had, it just seemed like, you know, very poor tackling, which, you know, a guy as talented as him can make it look easy, but it looked like we were just kind of trying to arm tackle, you know, a beast like him. That's not going to work. But credit to the defense. After that, they kind of settled down in the first half, and, um, you know, overall they had a decent game. I I think Skylar Thompson did exactly what his coaches and team expected from him. He took care of the football. He didn't force anything. He threw safe passes. And when they needed him the most, he delivered on that fourth down conversion. So, I mean, Thompson threw an absolute dime for it was like 35 yards. And that pretty much sealed the game. So what were your thoughts on Skylar Thompson's performance? I thought he managed the game pretty well. But um, I think his stats looked a lot better than what they necessarily should have. Um, considering that, you know, our secondary, well, not secondary, our secondary dropped one pick and then Calvin wiped out another. Um, it should have been a two interception day. Charles Woods had a, a, a gift wrapped to him. He just dropped. Um, and Calvin wiped off the nice X3 low play, which could have turned the game around, could have given WVU an easy score, fingers crossed. Um, but, you know, he's still, Thompson still performed well. Um, he did take some hits. Um, he's definitely, his knee still isn't 100%, so he's not as mobile as he once was. But, you know, he did what he needed to do, um, especially that fourth down throw. He wasn't really pushing the ball downfield too much. Um, but that fourth down throw was really, really pretty and put right in the right spot. Oh, yeah, for sure. He is a classic Kansas State quarterback. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, that philosophy that they have with, taking care of the ball, being smart. It, it's won them a lot of games over the past 10 years. So um, he's perfect for K-State. So basically how I want to wrap up the defense, the biggest tragedy of these past two seasons is West Virginia has wasted two of the best defensive seasons that we've seen at West Virginia in a long time. And I'm not trying to say this is the best defense the Mountaineers have ever had in its program's history. Uh, but this is a special group of kids and it's a shame that they will be forgotten about in five to 10 years. I hope not, but more than likely, you know, they'll kind of be an afterthought because we were never able to put a decent offensive unit on the field with them. And so it's just led to a lot of forgettable seasons. So I hate to say it, but it feels like we have wasted their talent for two straight seasons. Yeah. Now I'm really hoping that we can keep, you know, uh, Leslie and a couple of the defensive guys around um, through all this turmoil and, and make sure that we are able to keep the talent that we have on defense because it's going to be important. 
um, so that we just can't continuously have a cycle of excuses to say why we're not winning. I mean, because in two years, if we have finally have a veteran quarterback who has some snaps under him, you know, and then the defense is magically automatically bad because maybe Parker gets a, a job from a bigger school or we just in between, you know, good linebackers or good defensive linemen, then, you know, it's just kind of that same cycle of excuse making all over again. Um, and it's just not, it's just not going to work. I mean, I, I want to see WVU successful, um, you know, at least have seven wins a season eventually. Um, and then eventually build things back up to an eight and nine win team. And in order to do that, you need to have keep the good coaches around and you need to be able to continue to develop new guys to replace the guys that are leaving. So I'm really hoping this trend of good defense continues because Leslie really does seem like he knows what he's doing. And we have some good defensive assistance on that side of the ball. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to keep things going as long as we don't see a huge turnover or other teams sniffing um, smelling blood and start poaching our best coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, uh, it, it's hard to complain about what coach Leslie has done over there. I mean, uh, the defense has been good enough to win games. It's not like we're sitting here saying West Virginia should be a 10 win team coming into this season. I thought seven wins was very realistic. And I thought even eight, you know, if everything was going well and, you know, we kind of, you know, went above expectations a little bit. I thought seven to eight wins was realistic. And um, if people think that's not realistic, why? Like, you know, we've played so many close games this year, whereas if if we were just fixing these same mistakes that we were making, seven wins would be right on the horizon. You know, if we just change, you know, one, two games that ended up being losses into wins, with two games left, I mean, seven wins would be very realistic. I think this is why fans are just getting so frustrated with it all because it, it seems like we have all the pieces there. It's just not coming together. Yeah, and, you know, I think seven wins is more than reasonable because of the construction of this team. I mean, you should think that a fifth-year quarterback can go back there and manage the game for you. Uh, a running back like Letty should be able to build off the season he had last year. Um, you know, your entire receiving core are, what, juniors and seniors. Um, I don't think we really have any under, underclassmen who are seeing significant reps. You know, our defensive line, we lost one really good player, but we have enough, uh, more, more than enough guys to fill in. We have a lot of seniors on defense with Adai and Scotty Young, um, Chandler Semedo, who I think he's been starting for three years now. Um, you know, just a lot of guys. Um, you know, X-Ray Lowe was a senior as well. Um, so... You know, it has all the recipes for, you know, having a nice veteran team who can go out there and overperform. I mean, but even looking at the season, you know, if you would say, okay, we lose to Oklahoma, we lose to Iowa State, you know, we lose one of Maryland and Virginia Tech, and then we lose one more, that's an eight-win season. So um, I definitely don't think that's out of the question, and I don't think that was an unrealistic goal for the season coming in, seven or eight wins. Um, and the, the fact that we're going to be fighting – for six wins and it's not even guaranteed because Texas is going to be coming out angry next week. Um, and Kansas, maybe they got some momentum from that last win. So maybe they found something that works. Um, not necessarily sure if that's going to be the truth because it is Kansas, but um, a lot can happen if a team and players at WVU just start losing hope and lose all energy. Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm hoping we can, um, 
you know, string together some solid performances to end this year, which leads me to the good, bad, and hope. Do you want to get into that? Sure. So, All right. uh, go ahead. You want to go first? Oh, I can go. Um, go ahead. So, my good is going to be the defensive line. Um, you know, I, I think whenever all else fail, uh, everything else fails, the defensive line is always the one who comes up and, and plays well. You know, Mesador, Stills, Alston, Jefferson. Had a really good game. He had two tackles for a loss. Um, you know, they're just rock solid. And, you know, we have still have some talent coming back for next year. Um, and they're kind of the engine that makes our defense go. I mean, our secondary has kind of started to gel and play better against the pass. But that defensive line just keeps offensive linemen and quarterbacks and running backs and everyone else honest. Because if you miss, they're going to be in the backfield and they're going to wreak some havoc. Um, my bad. It's going to be Deggy because I think this is the worst game he's had since, oh, man. I mean, you could say Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State was just bad all the way around offensively. Um, you know, but he just had what was really bad. He was missing throws all over the field. He was misreading defenses. He was holding the ball too long. He was just putting the entire offense, you know, behind the sticks constantly. And you can't be doing that when you're a quarterback, let alone a fifth-year senior. I expect more. I expect better, and I expect the coaching staff to be able to rein him in whenever he's clearly falling apart. Um, you know, and if he can't do that, then he can't be your quarterback, plain and simple. Uh, my wish is that eventually, you know, at the end of the season, we're seeing some coaching changes, just something to get some new faces in there to give fans hope. I mean, even if we do finish six and six and we go to a bowl game and somehow end up seven and six, I still don't think that's going to make people feel good about all the up and downs that we've had this season and all the little mistakes and the the games that we lost because we started off slow or because we made little mistakes here and there. Um, I mean, we had three losses by, we had more than three losses by one possession. Um, We had an entire first half against Texas tech where we didn't score. um, And we just didn't show up against Baylor and we didn't show up against Kansas state really either. So um, it just seems like we need new people in that room with those players, whether it's for motivation or teaching better technique or just selecting the right guys to put on the field to execute every week without necessarily, you know, having the same biases that the the current staff has, um, just something to shake things up. Yeah, I like it. So uh, my good, bad, and hope, my good is the emergence of Caden Prather. It's exciting that he's only a freshman and will hopefully uh, be a big reason for the turnaround at this school. I hope he continues to develop, and I hope he works hard in the offseason and has a huge sophomore season next year. He looks like he has the potential to be a really special talent. My bad, I'm just going to go with the overall performance. Kansas State was a team that did not overmatch us. They just outplayed us and outcoached us. Oklahoma State felt like a team we had no business beating. K-State felt like a team we matched up well against. And the lack of execution, the lack of discipline led to an embarrassing 17-point loss. And it, it just knocked all of the win out of nearly every WVU fan. I feel majority of fans have been patient. We aren't always the loudest of the bunch. Normally the loudest are the real negative fans, but I feel like the majority of us have been fair and patient, but I truly feel like the majority of WVU fans um, have stuck by Coach Brown's side. But man, it's getting harder and harder 
to create excuses for these poor performances. It really is. So my hope is we show up and deliver two solid performances to end this year. I'm getting very concerned that our recruits are watching these games and I'm afraid they're going to start having second thoughts about coming here. Justin Williams, I heard, was visiting Tennessee today. I didn't look too much into that. Maybe that was a planned visit. Maybe it wasn't. All I know is Coach Brown's one saving grace. The one thing he has been able to hang on to is, well, the guy can recruit well. If his recruiting starts to take a dip, then there's nothing to lean back on here. I want to give Coach Brown five full years before we give up on him, but he has to start showing improvement. I'm not saying we have to win every game, but this team has to pass the eye test. I mean, this team just needs to start showing progress or year five will be nothing more than just a formality for Neil Brown here in his tenure. Because, uh, I mean, if if we're watching this same product next year, I just think there's no hope for year five. And so I I just want to see progress. I don't think that's asking much as a WVU fan. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And if, um, you know, I wrote an article for the Voice of Motown website um, kind of outlining how I feel about the whole situation. So feel free to read that. But just in a nutshell, like Tyler said, you know, we need to see progress. I mean, we're in year three and we hired Neil Brown because he seemed to be a guy who could do the things that Dana couldn't. And right now, the only thing that he could, he's showing he can do that Dana couldn't is recruit. The game management issues are still there. The discipline issues are still there. Um and the, the, the hiring your buddies situation is still there. Um, those things need to change. And it's on Neil to do that. We can't do it for him. We can whine and complain and yell from the mountains for him to do it. But ultimately, it's his job. It's his career. And we don't owe him anything. If he wants to, you know, tie his life to these other guys and this philosophy and this coaching scheme, then that's on him. I mean, there's... Plenty of other coaches out there that WVU could hire if this falls flat. And hopefully we get the right guy next time if he's not willing to, if Neil isn't willing to adapt. But I still believe that Neil can be a good coach. He just needs to not be stubborn about it. Yeah. And uh, that's it for us, guys. I know this was a real downer of an episode, but I mean, it's it's getting hard to, uh, you know, find a ton of positive things to say when you're getting performances like Oklahoma State and K-State. So, um, we, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Please um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you guys prefer to be on. Just look for us, the Voice of Motown podcast. As Brandon always says, that's a, we're a whole different you know, social media page than Brad's Voice of Motown. So please follow, follow both of us. We love the work Brad does as well. Um, and he's been nothing but kind to us. So please give us a follow as well. If you like our podcast, tell us what you like about it. If you hate our podcast, tell us what we can do to improve. You know, we'll take feedback of any kind. But um, as always, we appreciate you guys for listening. Please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you prefer listening to podcasts. Um, We're going to start doing basketball podcasts more often. We have one already if you want to listen to it from last week. And on Thursday, we will be previewing the Texas game this Saturday. So, Brandon, do you have anything to add? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know, like Tyler said, this was kind of a downer of a podcast, but basketball season's coming up. I feel good about it. Um, our non-conference schedule is easy, so we should have a lot of good news 
to share <laughs> coming up about that. So if you need a pick me up, let's start. Let's let's talk basketball. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And always feel free to chat with us on Twitter, or, you know, whatever about the games. We, we love interacting with you guys. Um, so, yeah, that's it for us, guys. Thank you again. This is the Voice of Motown podcast, and we will see you next time. See you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>